Amen. So, so this morning I'm going to start a three-week teaching series for the uh, rest of the month of July. And what we are going to be doing here is we are, I call it Family Matters. And we came to this simply, you'll remember, so probably you could say this next bit better than I could say it because you've heard it so many times. But at the start of the year, I sent out word and said, you know, if, if there was any one thing that's likely to keep you awake at night, what is it? And we got a lot of varied responses to that. Um, my concern is there's no point in preaching sermons that don't affect people where their lives are at. And uh, so what I want to do is scratch people where they're itching. And, and that was the reason then one of, one of the primary concerns was about finances. And, uh, and, and I talked, we did a three-week series about money. And another one was family. And so I want us to take a few weeks to look at some of the things the Bible says about family. I, uh, I, I, I was reading a, a quote the other day from George Carlin. He said, the other night I ate at a family restaurant. You know it was a family restaurant because there was an argument going on at every table. <laughs> yeah, that's bad, right? That's bad. I think George Burns had it right. He said, he said happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. <laughs> so this is an anonymous quote. It could be me, I guess. Insanity does not run in my family. Rather, it strolls through, taking its time, getting to know everyone personally. <laughs> and then here's a serious quote. Uh, like all the best families, we have our share of eccentricities, of impetuous and wayward youngsters, and of family disagreements. And that quote is Queen Elizabeth II. Like all the best families. In family life, there are complications, there are challenges, there are things that cause us concern from time to time, and there are things that keep us awake at night sometimes. And what I want to do over the next three weeks is this. Today, I want to talk about, in general terms, how to establish a good, godly base in family. And I, I, I call today's message, Make Room for God. And then next week, I want, to take a, I want to take a phrase that I used when we were doing our finance series, when I talked about planning for the future. And here's what I'm going to talk about family life next week. I'm going to, I want to talk about doing our best and trusting God with the rest. That's what I want to talk about. Because the bottom line is this. If you talk to any parent, do you think you could have done some things better raising your kids? Yes, I do. But in the end of the day, you know what we did? We did the best we knew at that time to do. You do the best and you trust God with the rest. And we're gonna talk about uh, some aspects of, of, of parenting next week that I know some of you left parenting behind a long time. No, you didn't. You never leave parenting behind. They might be 55 years old, but they're still your kids. So we're going to talk about that a bit next Sunday morning. And then on the third Sunday, I just want to share with you, because there are a lot of them there, God's promises for our families. That, folks, is where you find peace. 
You don't find peace through the ups and downs and the turmoils of family life. You find peace through knowing what God promises for our families. And I'll give you a clue, it's good. It's good. So today I, I talked about, today I wanna talk about making room for God. Back in the Old Testament, a lot of the early part of the Old Testament is the story of how the children of Israel were freed from slavery in Egypt, right? Moses led them out of slavery, and he was taken to the land that God had promised to their forefather, Abraham. And that journey that should have taken several months actually ended up being one that took them 40 years. In fact, the Bible says that, you know, God's conclusion in the end was because all these people were so unbelieving and so complaining and so godless at times. In fact, God said to them at some point, he said, you know, here's the deal now. I brought you out of Egypt, but none of you is going to go into the promised land. And he let them wander around for years to the last of those, except for a couple of exceptions in their leaders, to the last of those who'd come out of Egypt had died off so a new generation would actually go into the land of Canaan. So they were going to be 40 years traveling in the wilderness. And then God spoke to Moses. This is in the book of Exodus and chapter 25. Exodus 25 and verse 8. God says this to Moses. He says, let them construct a sanctuary for me so that I can live among them. They were going to be 40 years living in the desert, traveling from time to time, living in tents. And here's what God said, though. I want to live with them. So make me a place. Build me a place. Build me a sanctuary and my presence will be there. And, and uh, in Genesis chapter 29 and verse 45, here's what he says. I'll move in and live with the Israelites. I'll be their God. God wanted to be with his people. In fact, if you take that forward uh, to the opening chapter of Matthew, when the angel is talking to Joseph about Mary giving birth to Jesus, the angel uh, quotes an Old Testament prophecy that says this, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God wanted to be with Israel in the wilderness. God came to be with us in the person of Jesus. And actually, if you, if you fast forward now to the end of the Bible and, and you take a look at what it says in Revelation 21, where basically it describes when everything has finally been kind of uh, concluded and eternity fully begins, it says this in Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. I want, I want to pause there for a minute because I would have imagined that would have said, at last, they're all with God. But it doesn't. Revelation 21 says, God's dwelling is with them. So it's not just a case of we want to spend eternity with God. God wants to spend eternity with us. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will be their God. 
from creation, God wanted a people to be his own, that he could be with. God's not looking for Sunday morning visitors to a worship experience, but God's looking for people who let him share their lives 24-7. God's not looking for people who are willing to either attend church or watch church and that's it. He's looking for people who will let him go home with them too. Make room for God. I know when I, was a, when I was a teenager, church was an all-day thing on Sundays. Some of you, any of you, church used to be an all-day thing on Sundays? Yeah, I see you. You carry the wounds. Actually, it didn't do us any harm. It did not harm us, right? It did not harm us. That was what we did. That was what we did. You did it. Sunday morning, we did church. Sunday afternoon, generally, we did a separate thing that was children's ministry. And Sunday night, we did our evening service. After our Sunday evening service, we had what we called a fellowship meeting where we all sat around and sang and drank cups of tea because English people do that. And, and, and we did that. And then when that was all over, there was a, there was a little group of us. We'd, we'd probably be the last to leave anyway, but we would be lingering waiting for the words that we really wanted to hear from our pastor. And very often our pastor would say, when most people had gone, he'd say, do you want to come around our house? And that was great. That was great. I was in no rush to go home because at that point, none of my family were believers. And Sunday was a fantastic day. I had a great day and I liked hanging out with my pastor. So there's a few of us who lived in the same area of the city as he did. And very often on a Sunday, he said, you want to come over to our house? And we go over to his house and we drink coffee at his house because we had tea at church and we sit and drink coffee. And, and, and you know what? And then about 1030 at night, we go home. It was great. It wasn't just Sunday church, but very often we lingered for the, do you want to come home? Listen, we need to do way more than meet God in a service Sunday morning. When the service is over, do you want to come home with me? That's what God was looking for from the, from, from the, the beginnings of, of creation. And I want to say this, the foundation of a solid family is having a family that makes room for God, not for church, but God for life, not for coming to services, but for God being part of our family life and of our home. So let me, let me take you back along through the, some of the Old Testament. If all you're aware of in the Bible is a couple of key verses you love, those are good. But there's a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible that's there for our help and for us to learn from. So God said to the children of Israel, I want you to make a place so that I can live. So here's, he gave them the exact instructions for the construction. And they started making this tabernacle, which had a certain amount of sections and it had kind of walls of fabric and stuff to, to kind of... Um, coordinate off and there was there was a big area where anyone could go in and there was an altar there where they could regularly offer sacrifices for their sin that was open to everybody and then they you could go through into another smaller area which was called the holy place 
And in the holy place, there were a couple of special things, and only the priests could go into the holy place. And then beyond the holy place, there was a small place called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was a piece of furniture, which Raiders of the Lost Ark fans will be aware of, the Ark of the Covenant. Some of you look so blank right now. Was it really that long ago? Or is, is the movie really that old? Okay, anyway, passing rapidly on. Uh, so, so the Ark of the Covenant was there. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a gold chest. Um, I wrote down the dimensions, not that you're particularly interested in that perhaps. 52 by 31 by 31 inches, that is. So it was made of wood covered with gold. It had a crown of gold around the top of it. And then there were two angels on the lid that kind of looked in towards one another. And it was a chest, it was a box. Inside the chest, the Ark of the Covenant, there were three things. There were the Ten Commandments that Moses had gotten on stone tablets. There was the Ten Commandments. There was a pot of manna, which was the food God gave every day to feed Israel while they were wandering in the wilderness. And there was a staff that belonged to Aaron, the high priest. Now, here's the thing about those three things. Each of those three things were symbols of Israel's failure. So the Ten Commandments, they broke. The manna, the thing about the manna, that God fed them with manna from heaven, and this stuff was on the ground every morning, and they picked it up, and they ate it, and that was their food for the day. Uh, but they all complained about it. It was like, really, cornflakes again? It was like, you know, it was like, you know, can we have something different one of these days? You know, like, can you try grilling it, see if it tastes better? Whatever, you know. They, 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 they just moaned about it all of the time. And so the pot of manna showed their shortcomings. And then Aaron's staff, there was a time when, when the people of Israel started challenging the leadership of Moses and Aaron and saying, you're the only ones who listen to God, or you're the only ones who can say what God wants. And, and what happened was Aaron said, all right, tell everybody else to leave their staffs out in the tabernacle overnight and see what happens. And the next morning, Aaron's staff had grown buds and also fully developed almonds. And the people got the message, maybe Aaron is special after all. So Aaron's rod was a symbol of their rebellion. So all these things were a sign of their rebellion. But actually the Ark of the Covenant was the place where the presence of God was. So it's like God's presence and all of their failures. But the lid to the Ark of the Covenant, which was solid gold, was the place where once a year the high priest went and he brought in the blood of a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the people. And what stood between the symbol of their sin and the holy presence of God was the blood, the life that had been given to spare them. And I just want to remind you this Sunday morning, if you were to pile together all of our rebellion, failures, complaining, downright sin, and put them in one place, 
Here's the beautiful truth. Between our sin and the holiness of God, there is the blood of the one who gave his life so that we could be saved. Thank God this morning, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. There's a holy God and there's our wretchedness and in between it stands the cross of Christ who gave his life so that we would not be punished for our sins. So the Ark of the Covenant was a very special thing. Okay, now we're going to fast forward. I'm still traveling through the Old Testament here. In the first book of Samuel, chapter 4 and 5, it talks about a time when the children of Israel were, were ready to go, go to war against the army of the, their enemies, the Philistines. And they're ready to go to war. And the nation at this time was not in a good place spiritually. Their high priest, Eli, and his sons who were also priests had not been given good leadership to the nation. They hadn't taught the people and they hadn't corrected the people. And so basically the people of Israel thought, well, it doesn't matter if we're out of touch with God. So long as we've got the Ark of the Covenant, we'll be good. So they go to the battlefield to fight the Philistines and take the Ark of the Covenant with them like it's a lucky charm. Because this is God's with us. And if God's before us, folks, who can be against us? Guess what? They lost the battle. And worse than that, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. And they took it away. So here it is, the symbol of God's presence, the place where God dwelt and suddenly removed from Israel and, and, and the Philistines take it. And they take it and they put it in, into the temple of their God, Dagon. Because now they've got both, you know, they, they, they're covering all bases now. They've got their God and they've got Israel's God. Their God must be stronger because they won the battle, but they've got Israel's God now for a backup, right? It's kind of like going to mass this morning and then coming here, keep, keep both bases covered, you know? It's like, you know, so, so we, we got both here. So they put it in the temple, but the next morning when somebody goes into the temple, the big idol to Dagon had fallen over on its face in front of the Ark of the Covenant. So not knowing what went on, they just put it back up again and that was it. The next morning, the same thing happened. And people are saying, this is weird. The third morning, the idol of Dagon had fallen in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Its head was broken off and its arms were broken off. And now they're starting to get freaked out. Now at the same time, right around their capital city there, they discovered that there was an outbreak of a plague of hemorrhoids. Now, don't ask me how you find No, it's true. I'm sorry. No, I tell you, you've got to read the book. You've got to read the book. It's, it's, I'm not making this up, all right? Now, I don't know how you find out there's a plague of... I mean, you know, do you tell your family and friends? Like, you know, like, how are you doing today? Hemorrhoids? No, you don't do that. But, but anyway, there was a plague of hemorrhoids. And, and they're saying, okay, there's something up here. 
We need to get rid of this Ark of the Covenant. So they decide that they are going to take it out of their city of Ashdod, and they sent it to their sister city of Gath. And the Ark of the Covenant hadn't been in Gath more than a few days when, yeah, you guessed it, hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids. I'm just telling you the Bible story, right? Hemorrhoids. And so the people from Gath, wanting to share the blessing with their friends, sent the Ark of the Covenant on again. And they sent it to a city called Ekron. But the people in Ekron were smart. They said, we heard about the hemorrhoids. We don't want it. So they all decided to send the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. So they built the cart. They, 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 they took it on a cart, sent it on its way. And the Ark of the Covenant ended up back in Israel at a place called kiriath Jearim. But it stayed there for 60 years. Years later, when David became the king and was setting up Jerusalem as his capital, he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back because he wanted the presence of God to be right there in the center of the nation. He made a huge event of it. He took thousands of his soldiers and they went and they made a new cart. Now, there's something here I'm going to tell you. The Ark of the Covenant was kind of like a chest, but it had poles made of wood covered in gold either side. God's rules were it must only ever be transported by carrying it with these poles. And the only people allowed to carry it are, are, are the Levites who were part of the priesthood. They were the only ones. That was the way... It was meant to be done. I want to say that because that's important it's for where I'm going just now. So they make a cart, they put it on the cart, and as they're, as they're traveling along the, the, the roads there, it kind of sounds like Long Island, I guess. They must have hit a pothole. And, uh, and when, they, when they did that, the, the ark kind of, you know, the cart kind of rocked a bit, and a guy by the name of Uzzah was afraid the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall off, so he put out his hand to steady it, and when he put out his hand to steady it, God struck him dead, because nobody was meant to touch the Ark of the Covenant. So Uzzah dies, and then here's, here's what it says in 2 Samuel 6. And verse 9, then David became fearful that day and said, this chest is too hot to handle. How can I ever get it back to the city of David, Jerusalem? He refused to take the chest of God a step farther. Instead, David removed it off the road and to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. David said, I can't deal with this. I'm not having this. Now, there's at least one person sitting here or watching at home today, and you're thinking, uh, this is the series on family life, Roger, right? Basically, we've got Old Testament history and hemorrhoids. What's this got, what's this got to do with family? Okay, I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to answer any second now. So the Ark of the Covenant was left in the house of Obed-Edom, right? The the presence of God was left in the house of Obed-Edom. So look at this verse, if you would, in 2 Samuel 6 
And verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. Look at the next bit. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. That's my family life sermon for you. God blessed Obed-Edom. God blessed his whole family. Why? Because he opened his doors to the Ark of the Covenant. He welcomed the presence of God in his home. And because he welcomed the presence of God in his home, both Obed-Edom and his entire family were blessed because of that. The secret of family blessing is not just to have a faith that's on the shelf somewhere or a convenience to pull out. It is that God is not just part of our Sunday morning routine, but the secret is that God is a part of our home and God is a part of our family. That's the secret. That's the secret. So, that was the introduction, folks. We'll get to this. We only do one service. I got all the time in the world. Yeah. Today's big soccer game that England are in is not on until 3 o'clock, so I got all the time in the world. A couple of things from this story then. Number one, I'm talking about making room for God, right? God's presence will challenge you. God's presence will challenge you. That's what scared David. You see, what scared David is you can't do everything just however you want to do it if God's in the house. God's presence really is going to challenge you. A number of years ago, I think it was uh, 1991, my mother had passed in the late 80s. My father was uh, staying with us for a, a couple of weeks. And I remember we were, uh, one Saturday, I said to Jill, uh, shall we perhaps get a, okay, a video. Do you remember those? Okay, this is before Netflix, folks, when you couldn't see what you wanted. So we went to a video store. And we looked at the titles, and we saw, there was a, we saw the video of, of, of the movie Pretty Woman. So, so I looked at that, and I thought, you know, I like Julia Roberts acting. Richard Gere's done some good stuff. Uh, I didn't know a lot about the movie. I read what it said on the back of it. It said it was a romantic comedy. So I said, that's good. I like to laugh. And so we went home, and we put it in on Saturday night. My dad's there. Now, now Oh, you've seen the movie too, right? Okay, yeah. Now, I probably should have known better than to take out a movie about a hooker and a... Uh, but, but, but it didn't sound bad. And it, it wasn't that bad. Um, but my father's... You know, my father was very old school. And he like, you know, he was pretty proper. And, and he didn't say a thing. He just sat. And, and my father had this way. He'd sit there and he'd click his thumbnails. And Dad's clicking the thumbnails. And I'm trying not to laugh because I thought, not at him, I thought some of the movie was funny. And I, I probably shouldn't have thought it was funny, but I did. Uh, and, and, and he's there clicking his thumbnails. And it's like, Okay, we learned this lesson. When dad's in the house, we stick to uh, 
We stick to what? I don't know. G-rated movies, you know. We'll do cartoons when dad's around. It's like, you know, when, it, you know, his presence, like, made what I was doing uncomfortable. And the truth is, the presence of God in our home life will challenge us at times. It'll do that. But as it challenges us, it will also strengthen us. In Acts 9, verse 31, it says this, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Look at this next bit. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. The New Testament did really good when they lived, the people lived with an awareness of the Lord. Now, it says they're living in the fear of the Lord. Listen, we don't need to be afraid of God like we're scared of God. There is no need whatever for any of us to be scared of God. But you know what? There's a kind of a respect fear as well, right? And when they live with a respect for God, the church did really good. When we make room for God at home, it's going to challenge us. Actually, Proverbs uh, 9 and verse 10 talks about the fear of God too. It says, skilled living gets its start in the fear of God insight into life from knowing a holy God. The fear of God. Insight into life from knowing a holy God. Listen, let God's presence and godly principles permeate your family life. Take God home today. God's presence will challenge you. Then I just want to point out that God's presence will change you. There are some like fantastic names, aren't there, in the Old Testament. I've used a few of them describing people and places today. So Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom, the guy who took the Ark of the Covenant into his house. Obed-Edom, the Bible says, was a Gittite. Which basically means that was the tribe that he belonged to. What it tells us, he was not an Israelite. He was not one of God's favored chosen people. Obed-Edom had not been raised on the stories of God's dealings with his forefathers like the Israelites were. He couldn't trace a history of promised blessing back over generations like Israel could look back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Gittites hadn't received the godly instruction in living that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai to pass down to the people of Israel. But Obed-Edom made room for God. And when he made room for God, it brought him into a place of blessing. I, I discovered uh, over the years, you know what? There is really limited preparation for married life or for parenting for that matter. There are all kinds of tools you can find, but there's limited. I used to go through a lot of pre-marriage counseling with couples who were gonna get married. And then a few years ago, I realized it's a waste of time. 
No, it seriously is. Because they're not listening. <laughs> they're just doing what they've got to do for you to marry them. So what I tell couples who are going to be married, get married nowadays, is I say, you, you know what? Um, there, there's no need to go through a long process. But I want you to know that as you enter into your marriage, I am available to you at any time you want if you want to talk to a third party and get some objective input. I just want you to know I'm here for you. But most of us learn how to be husbands or wives or whatever, probably from looking at our parents. And for some of us, we didn't have parents who were good role models in, in, in those situations. Or, or, or the way we learned for parenting was from our parents. But, you, you know, then again, you may not have had the best of examples in those areas. But here's the good news. You are not predestined to reproduce their failures and shortcomings. You might be here today as a parent who's come to faith a little bit later in life and sometimes you think, man, I wish I'd been in a better place to give my children some better guidance spiritually and some better direction. I wish I knew when they were younger what I actually know now. And I just want to tell you this, your story's not over yet. Your story's not over. Your family's story is not over. You know what? The presence of God can and will change you and change your family. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says this, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image. Here's what God's doing for all of us. He is transforming us into his image. That's what the presence of God will do for us. And the presence of God in our homes will actually transform our families. And then I'm rushing now because time is going. I just want to mention this third thing. God's presence then will challenge you. It will change you. I, 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 um, I, I use this word. I don't even know if this fits, but it begins with CH. God's presence will charge you. Because here's what happened. Here's, in this sense, God's presence, I was going to say it would give you a buzz. That's probably not a good phrase to use, right? No, you're going to have a spiritual, no, you can get a spiritual buzz, right? Is that okay? I better keep going. Okay. 2 Samuel 6, 12 says this. Take a look at this. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. So news gets to the king, hey, Obed-Edom's having a great time down there with your ark of the covenant. And David's, uh, wait a second, I, I think I want some of that. So he says, you know, I want to say, word of, word of how God had blessed Obed-Edom, got to Jerusalem. The king says, I want to do that. And it says he brought the, the, the ark of God up from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. God with him. Actually, the, the whole scene it describes in 2 Samuel 6 is, is quite an outstanding one. It says in verse 14, David, ceremonially dressed in priest linen, danced with great abandon before God. In fact, David the king was so wild about the ark coming back and was dancing so, so uh, 
animated that uh, when he got home, his wife said, what the heck do you think you were doing? And he said, uh, I was dancing, I was celebrating. And, and she said to him, you made yourself look so undignified as the king. And I love his response in verse 22. Here's what David said. He said, I'll become even more undignified than this. <laughs> I like that. He was so happy that God was there. He was so happy to have the presence of God in Jerusalem. He's like, you think that was crazy? You ain't seen nothing yet. You know, because, because he was charged up because God was there with him. Listen, a half-hearted church will never make an impact on a heavy-hearted world. Won't do it. But a church that's excited about God, a church that really, really is pumped about Jesus is going to make a difference. And that means a church that knows God seven days a week, enjoys the presence of God. And, and it, it means this, people who make room for God in life as a whole. The foundational thing for family life is make room for God. So what does that look like, Roger? Give us something remotely practical. Well, I think God needs to be in our conversations in family life. As freely as we talk about God here together on Sundays, we should talk about Him in our homes and to our children in family life. If I want to, see, so I was doing a, a yesterday afternoon, I was, uh, I, I wanted to do some cooking, so I found a recipe, hot and spicy chicken, and I thought, there was a warning in it, this is really hot, and I thought, how hot can it be? <laughs> it's hot. So, so I'm making this, but what you had to do was you marinate the chicken, and then you deep fry it. Now, I try to modify most things I eat so that it's a little healthier. So I don't want to deep fry the chicken pieces after they're marinated. So I think, what shall I do? And I thought, I could spray a pan and put it and turn it. That's not going to be any good. And then, then I remembered, wait a second, we had an air fryer. Charlotte gave us one a couple of years ago. I remember, I took it out of the box, I looked at it, I read the instructions. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I thought, I don't want this sitting on my kitchen counter all the time. You know, like there's enough stuff on the counter. I don't want another big item. So I put it in our, the home we used to live in. I put it on a shelf in the laundry room where there was space. I never used it. So yesterday I'm thinking, what happened to the air fryer? Now you gotta remember, we moved house in the meanwhile. So Lord knows what happened to anything, right? So. And then I thought, I think I put it on a shelf in the garage. So I'm going out, I'm looking all around the garage and I can't see the air fryer. I can't see it anywhere. And then I'm thinking, was it in the box or out the box? And then I tried a couple of cupboards that are in the garage to see if they were there and it wasn't there. And I, I couldn't think. And then I had this sudden brain wave. There's a the brain wave. There's a bottom cupboard in the kitchen. And I know the toaster's in one side and the, um, the whatever it is, crock potty thing. Uh, that's there, and then I'm thinking, did I see it on the other side? And I went to it, and it was there. It was there all the time. Listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. God's with us all the time. 
But how aware are you of his presence in your home? Where is it? Where is it? When I'm saying make room for God in your home, here's a real simple thing. I don't know about you, but I, I look forward to when our band is leading us in worship Sunday morning. And today it was like, I, I felt I, they helped me to just touch God and touch heaven again. And uh, it, was, it was a fantastic experience just to spend time worshiping God. Because you know what praise does? Praise, praise prepares a place for God. The Bible says the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. What do you listen to at home? If you want to stay more God conscious in family life, maybe some of the things you listen to, maybe you should listen to more if you don't already. Listen to more Christian worship. Listen to more Christian music. I didn't say go nuts. You don't have to hang a text on every wall in the house, okay? You don't need to do that. But be aware. Be aware. Make room for God in your family life. Don't just pray in church. Pray at home. Talk to God at home. Read God's Word at home. The foundation of a solid home is that we welcome the presence of God. When Obed-Edom welcomed God's presence, God blessed him and his entire household. And my prayer for you today is that God will bless you and your entire household. Will you stand and pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for every household that's represented here this morning, watching us online, everyone connected to us at this point in time. And Father, I pray that every family will know your blessing. God, I pray where currently there might be turmoil that you will send peace. Pray, Lord God, that where the enemy is trying to bring destruction, that you would turn around what he is trying to do. And Lord, that you would pour in your blessing. Pray, Lord, for every man and woman and boy and girl. And God, I pray that you would, Lord, make our families strong in you. Make our families rock solid in our faith. And for those of us with family members who don't yet know you, who might seem far from you, God, I want to thank you today because you're writing the story. <laughs> and we're just in one of the chapters because the story's not over yet. God, we pray for our families. We pray for the salvation of our families. We pray that not one will be left out, but that everyone will come to know you. And may our homes be beacons of hope. In this dark world, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.